This is Strategist episode 1280. My name is Zane Velji. With me as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Guys, it is time. It is time to do a podcast, Stephen. It is time. A little bit past time, isn't it? Like It is nope. a little bit past time. No, nope. yeah. disagree. Yeah. Completely disagree. A little late. You little guys late. don't have a little the... late today. No. Little today and not yesterday. Yeah. So you guys don't have the time. fluid Eastern sensibility of how time works. Okay. This is early. We're early for our next episode. If we skip an episode, it means that it wasn't is, meant to be. This is the Zane Velji version of it's five o'clock somewhere. I well, why? And, and guess what? It's working. China on the rise. India just kicking ass. You guys need to adopt this sense of time. Okay, <laughs> kicking ass, <laughs> killing people. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of putting it. Why you got to go there already, Carter? Um, <laughs> anything you want to talk about? We've got a packed episode, by which I mean I've got one line written, and let's, we're going to see how much I can milk that for. So, let's, let's anything go, you want to talk about? Let's get through this thing. It's past my bedtime. I'm cranky. Uh, you know, this is this is. I want to watch a show. Like I want to go to bed, man. Like I'm like exhausted. Zay, let's go. Uh, 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 out of curiosity, what do you think Stephen Carter's bedtime is? Like if he wasn't on this podcast. With are you asking right? me or is this like a poll? Yeah, well, that's why I said to... Zane. Well, okay, here's what. Oh, I didn't hear Zane. Okay, here's actually what I want. I want okay, to expand wait, this to let's the everybody stop. We'll yeah. stop for a minute. Yeah, yeah sure. Audience. Yeah. And let's give a chance. in now. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Can't, that's can't, great. Okay. I heard one three thirty, which I thought was pretty good. Like a th- <laughs> someone who said three thirty, you know who you are. Pretty funny. Uh, Carter, uh, is it in fact what the poll says from the audience? Uh, three forty-five. No, that's when I ate my dinner. I mean, <laughs> no, I go to bed. I go to bed every night at 9.15, except tonight, because I'm recording with you two, Yahoo. It's 9.12. My God, we got three minutes. Three minutes let's to make get an hour. Yeah, let's make let's a Let's go, let's, baby. Yeah, three, three minutes of Carter quality. Uh, here we go. Let's jump it on to our first and perhaps only segment, Draft Day. Corey Hogan, there are draft rules floating around for the Alberta NDP leadership race. Uh, some of us have seen these rules float around in our inboxes, WhatsApp chats. Um, many people talking about them. Buzzworthy what a flex saying draft yeah. rules. Yeah, I'm so upset I, right the, now. The, the flex. Yeah, I still use email. It is true. Yeah, uh, that is the flex. Uh, I'm multi-platform. That is correct. Uh, it's not just this pod where you can find me on Carter. Yeah. These rules are round. People are kicking them around. Got different versions of them. They're interesting. But that's not what I necessarily want to talk about. And when I say that, I mean the substance of what we have seen in these draft rules. Because we know at some point, the Alberta NDP will publish a set of rules. Everyone will be able to see them. They will dictate things like when the leadership race is, when it is revealed, the membership cutoffs, uh, the prerequisite sort of um, what they'd call green lighting process, Carter, right? What requirements you need to have. All of that will see the light of day. And so despite the fact that they are with a lot of us right now, or some of us right now, um, what I want to discuss, Carter- Keep rubbing it in. It's just just me sending it to myself. Okay. Okay. Uh, Carter, here's what I want to discuss, though. Okay. Because I'll let the substance of those rules come out when they do. I want to discuss- how the campaigns in this Alberta NDP leadership race, but even broadly, how campaigns or camps, because there is no real official campaign yet, and we could talk about that for for, for the candidates that are running, Mm -hmm. how these camps need to navigate these rules. And what I mean by navigate is quite simply advocate for rules that are in their favor. Uh, Try to even the scales, try to ensure that certain things that are beneficial to them, um, they make a case for. Uh, And I want to work this through with you guys in terms of a, what I'd call a 
I've done this before, but a bit of like a biblical rule book. Let's go with some rules that you want to consider. And then from there on in, let's add a bit of nuance to them with the situation that perhaps some of these campaigns or these camps might find at hand. Corey, does that sound good to you? Sounds super. And and I think that maybe I'll even jump in and say the first thing as you go through. And That's, it's I'm, glad, like I'm glad to do that because Carter has to go to sleep. So yeah, just get us going yeah, here, Corey. Go, yeah. <laughs> the framework for the framework is you've got to know that every party is going to be a little bit different, but the rules don't just come on a stone pap- tablet from on high, right? Like somebody has to write these rules. And so the draft has to be drafted by somebody. The It has to be approved by somebody, maybe a different somebody, likely a different somebody or a group of somebodies. And, uh, and it's only then that they actually take effect within the organization and depending on your party constitution, all sorts of ways that might be managed, right? But ultimately, it all comes down to three questions if you're a leadership camp and you're trying to determine your ability to change these rules or you're trying to set these rules in an advantageous way for you. You need to understand who recommends the rules. You need to understand who decides the rules. And you need to understand who influences that decision. And so the who recommends, who decides, and who influences model is really how you can start thinking about how these rules actually get formalized at the end of the day. So let's give an example. If the party executive director or party secretary, in the case of the NDP or whatever, recommends the rules, then you know who's got first pen on it. There's going to be a significant anchoring effect to that. So you're going to want to try to address things there if possible. The decision might actually be made by a broader group. It might be, for example, a provincial council. So all of the delegates to a meeting, right? That might be the deciders. And then you know, ultimately, who the voting base is. And this is the group that you actually need to uh, set at the end of the day. But that group, especially on a decision like this, is going to be looking to people who can give them a bit of guidance because Mm -hmm, in many mm -hmm. cases, they won't know what they're supposed to say. And so you've got to look to who influences. And that might even be your own camp. That might be the other leadership camps. That might be the outgoing leader. That might be the party officers that are recommending the rules. That might be any number of individuals. But these are the major actors that determine who or what, I suppose I mean, the leadership rules will be in in any contest. And I appreciate that, Corey, because it also highlights that when we talk about advocacy for the rules, we're not talking necessarily about changing advocating senselessly for let's just you know let's get rid of the the voting system like we want to we want a delegated convention like that's not what we're talking about here right what we're talking about largely if you guys agree is you know we have the draft rules how do we kind of massage them in our favor how would how do we kind of create a comma at the end that opens up a criteria a bit more how do we create functions of that and carter i guess the question i'll, I'll phrase frame to you because Corey's given us a frame and i do want to get to our list but i'd love to just tap on your expertise here because you've run a few of these carter have camps that you have been a part of or have observed over-invested or under-invested their time and energy on trying to mold rules. I'm just trying to get a gauge of like, is this like a secret hack to how to win? Is this something that that is already baked so most camps don't actually spend any time trying to mold it? Give me your take on this from your experience. Like, have you spent considerable time and even political capital um, and even points for being super best friends, so to speak, and said, I don't give a shit about that, to say, I want to go in bulldozing on on the rules talk to me about your experience and like what that wisdom has taught you 
on molding rules for for leadership campaigns? Well, the rules are everything. And because the rules change from race to race, a, a mi- what appears to be a minor change could have significant impact. And if you aren't advocating and you aren't pushing for specific types of changes, um, you know, the other teams are. The other teams are all going to be pushing for what they think will give them a minuscule impact or a minuscule advantage. Um, and it could be, you know, a fast membership race, or it could be a uh, a long, t- longer gap between the uh, the vote and the and the uh, the actual membership cutoff. Whatever they think will give them an advantage, they're going to negotiate for. And you may feel like you don't have any power, right? Like you may feel like you're just some, uh, you know, just another campaign. And what are you going to do? You're not going to pull out. You're not going to say, "Oh, we're not going to be a part of it's, this." It's not so, worth it for us anymore. Yeah. yeah or so whatever. Yeah. We have to. We have to just take these shitty rules and go with them. Um, you can think that way, but you'll probably wind up losing the race because you do have, this is your first opportunity to show that you're the leader that the party wants mm-hmm. by actually being the leader that the party needs. Um, so you need to be in a position where you say, I'm sorry, those rules do not serve the long-term future of this party. And if you continue to go that direction, I'm not going to commit to, to the commitments that will need to be made. So one of the commitments that need to be made in, in, later in the day will be, will you continue to serve as an MLA if, you know, regardless of who wins the leadership? And you can say no, because I think these rules are shit. And um, that should be a threat to the party. The party wants more than anything, everybody to come back together. But if you can't come together because the rules aren't good, then you have to position yourself so that you're strong enough uh, to push back on the rules. You're not powerless in this discussion. Um, mm. I think that too many campaigns think, oh, well, we can't we can't push back because we, you know, we really want to run for leader. I'll tell you something. It's running for leader and losing sucks. Don't run for leader and lose. Run for leader and win, which means you have to run for leader with good sets of rules. Which means the game is on right now as it relates to draft rules. Corey, I, I, I asked Carter the same question about over-investing and under-investing. Any experience or wisdom you want to share, or do you want to get us started with some commentary on our on our first sort of biblical rule for people to consider beyond the framework you've kind of given on uh, the, the, the stakeholders at play? Yeah, look, I think that... It's really important, and you can actually quantify a lot of these things. And maybe even if you're in a leadership camp, you should, at least in a rough sense, ask yourself, well, how many votes is this worth? And um, there are ways you can say, well, a, a membership cutoff on this line might give us X number of votes versus Y number of votes. What would that mean for the other candidates? How does that change the delta? Like, There's ways you can sort of look through this in a kind of a crass calculating way. The point I really want to put on the table, though, is camps are seen as interested parties, right? So when we talk about who influences, who decides who recommends, well, they don't recommend, they don't decide, and their influence is not is not enormous, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. in many cases, the, the party office and the outgoing leader and the executive, it really depends on how the leader left, right? They're going to say, yeah, of course you want that. You think it's to your advantage, right? And, and if you're the even the delegates deciding, you're going to look at this with a bit of a jaundiced eye. So Carter said something so very important. And I want to take a moment and underline it here. It's that as a candidate, you do not say, I don't like these rules. They don't serve my interests. You always say, they do not serve the interests of the party, 
right? And you try to elevate the principle and you make it a bigger principle. You make it about the kind of party you want to have, whether that party is going to be open or closed, whether that party is going to be left or right, whether that party is going to be up or down, whatever it is, you try to wrap it in something that is more motherhood and apple pie for your organization, Mm -hmm. whatever your organization will be. And that's really, that's, that's one of two tools you have. And Carter talks about the other tool too, which is saying, I'm not going to play ball. And there are actually gradients of that, because really what you're saying is, I am going to cast dispersions on your race. The most extreme manifestation is I'm not going to play ball. I'm not even going to run next time. But there are manifestations all the way down to, I'm going to express concern. I'm going to kind of mutter behind the background that I think that this is not great and it's not in the best interest of the party. And that's a calculation that some candidates decide to make for all sorts of reasons, Uh, sometimes just because they're petty assholes, right? Sometimes because they think that that's going to allow them to sort of manage the narratives around there and maybe makes up some of the advantage they lost with the bad rules. But it's rarely, I mean, I I really struggle to even think of a campaign. And by the way, hurt feelings here. I've also run leadership campaigns. Yeah, but sorry, uh, I, sorry. Uh, what was the word I was looking for? I'm just going to look for a successful. Successful. Yeah, okay, sorry. I, I, hey, listen, gotta man. Add a tag I seem to recall the great success. I didn't run it, but I was part of the team. It's Stefan Dion's leadership team. Ah, yes. Oh, Prime yes, Minister you were. Stefan Dion. He was so him. good. He was <laughs> He great. was a legend. Oh, oh all right. God. So I much why culture. I this oh, wow. I don't know why yeah, I made wow. this whole, but I, I guess the point I'm making is- the reason we don't have climate change here in Canada. I, revolution was, he ushered listen up ahead okay. of his time but. was he ahead of his time or was he bad at his job who will never know but <laughs> the thing synonyms. is we They're will yeah. super nice super nice guy by the way um look i can't i would struggle to think of a campaign that was so crass as to say i don't like this rule because um i i think that it it disadvantages like you'll hear disadvantages me in the sense of that's unfair to certain camps yeah. but you'll never hear somebody be like okay. i wanted this rule because i'd get an advantage over everybody yeah, else like people don't let let me there. let me summarize what i've heard and then let me say talked about a few things you guys have put on the board but haven't necessarily like molded for me as a rule because i think there's a few things i want to talk about so we've got who recommends who decides who influences Corey. you're kind of putting this thing of party over your personal interests. A few things you guys have kind of addressed, and Carter, maybe I'll get you to address this one, is the coalition of the camps. Talk to me about when you go in together and advocate, and we'll still talk about the how. We haven't talked about the how you do this just yet. Just hold on. Yeah, Uh, We will, folks. Uh, But from both of you, maybe start with Carter on this. Talk to me about the rule you would have for coalition. When do you go in together, as in multiple camps say this is either unfair to us or not the best interest of the party, and when do you go in alone? How do you think about this? If you were kind of giving this general sort of guide, add a rule for me, that, or start molding a rule for me on, on coalitions, Carter. Coalitions exist from the first day of the leadership to the last day of the leadership. The coalitions are fluid, however. So it's not like you're just necessarily going to create one coalition and you're in it forever. What you're doing is you're creating a coalition for the moment. So for example, Corey and I are running for leadership against you. Corey uh-huh. and I uh, say, oh my goodness, if we allow, um, you you were flashing cash around earlier trying to buy my allegiance to a leadership campaign. And I was like, you know what? 
you know, I don't want cash membership sales because Zane's got more ability to sell cash membership sales. I've got this more is ability. Multiple round trip flare airlines. Yeah, I mean, you're fla- I just you to know you're that. just flaunting yeah. like m- several twenties. I don't even I've seen that much cash since the pandemic, but the 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 you know cash membership. Let's take sales, little, let's take let's take a pause. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean? I haven't carried cash since the pandemic. What? Why were you carrying cash in particular since the pandemic? No one. We were all cash about anymore. the contactless. This is what we're doing. Wait, why were you carrying it during the pandemic? Prior to the pandemic, I carried the the cash. That's what I was. Why are we digging into this? The words you were looking for then were since before the pandemic. (laughs) Before the pandemic. Can I continue now? But the cash membership. Yeah, but I thought there was something. I'm like, was this guy just like going to cash only places during the pandemic? That's when I went to the places that were important. I call Corey and Corey and I say, you know what? We need to have no cash sales. So we go to the organizers and say, we don't want cash sales. They come in, you know, and so now two campaigns are saying they don't when want cash sales. When you say cash sales, just to be clear in this case, you know, you're not literally, just explaining the joke. You mean like you can't literally pay for a membership with, with cash. like with cash. Correct. You got to You got to use a credit card because that's one way of preventing fraud, right? You're not going to have someone back up, uh, you know, bring a briefcase full of cash that can buy memberships for everybody at Corey's church. Right. Like, that's just not how we're going to do this campaign. Um, In another situation, I might say, you know, Corey's got a big number of early memberships. Uh, It's going to take us a while to catch up. So we're going to want a longer membership period. So I'm going to pick up the phone and call Zane, who also needs a longer membership period. So I'm going to be working two allegiances at once to get the ultimate game that I want. Right. Mm -hmm. I want this. I want to screw Corey this way. I want to screw Zane this way. And I will work all the different arrangements to ensure that I'm screwing both of you at the same time. That came out wrong. Hmm. That, yeah, that came out exactly how up, you wanted we'll it. Clean, to, well, no, we won't. Incorrectly. We, it's, we'll co- clean that up in post. Don't worry. Coalitions, yes, they're fluid. They're dynamic. You can have multiple of them. Uh, give me your yes and or, 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 or you know reupholster what Carter's kind of put on, on the table in terms of how, how you decide uh, whether to advocate alone or advocate together. Yeah, well, I think that when you talk about coalitions, you've got to keep in mind that it's not just the camps. It's also going to be interested organizations throughout the party. Think labor, think environmental groups who might mm. be interested in strengthening or their own interests and or weakening another organization's interests. So you've got to think kind of broadly when you think about coalitions for leadership rules. And you've got to think again, going back to the model I put on the table there, right? Who decides who, you know, who uh, influences. And there's a lot of influential groups in any political party that can help change out some of those rules there. One of the things about coalitions, which I think is implicit, but I want to make explicit, is that it's not everybody, right? It's like, it'll be a couple of people against one and you'll pick people off issue by issue. Because when there's a coalition of all of the camp, like all of the camps, somebody is wrong, right? Now, it might be the party. It might be something that's just so bad that it just damages the organization to a degree that all of the campaigns are- Or just just like an oversight or something that they didn't think of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Much more likely, it means one of the camps has read things wrong, and they they think something will help them, and it will not help them. So one of the fascinating things that you've got to keep in mind is that nobody has perfect information. 
everybody's got a game plan and these game plans are going to be in conflict, but there's a certain fog of war and you don't necessarily know everybody else's game plan. So let's just continue the example where Steven and I are paired up on the idea of cash memberships. We don't want cash memberships, right? Mm -hmm, Oh, no, no, mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. want cash memberships. Cash memberships would be a real problem for me. Real problem for you too, Steven, right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe part of my calculation there is entirely is entirely inaccurate. Like maybe you're going to be in third either way. And what I should be thinking about is uh, like, if, if we came to you and you're like, I don't want cash memberships either, then we got a problem. Right. But like, I don't know his strategy. He doesn't know my strategy. I might be thinking that cash memberships are bad for me. I might be wrong because it might be that the cash memberships that you're selling, even though they're yours, would have otherwise come to me, right? So like you just don't know and you're trying to make calculations and you're trying to suss people uh -huh. as they're moving along here. And that's that's kind of the art of it. You know, it's, it's not clear cut. You make an interesting point about art. Carter, you put your hand up. I guess I'll ask this question to you. I, I want to go off what Corey said here and then we'll throw a few others on the board. Have you written like a strategy document in the past, Carter, when you've worked on these campaigns oh, yeah. on, on what you want from the rules? What does it entail? What does it include for you? Uh, give me a, like a, a Coles notes of, of what a strategy document oh. includes when you're trying to uh, win over the rules, if I, if I can call it that, or, 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 or win the rules if, if, <laughs> in that sense. Well, I mean, each one is different. I mean, the, the strategy document for Sandra Jansen's leadership campaign we knew that we needed just so, to... Sorry, some people might know her as Premier Jansen, but yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's really upsetting. just want to make sure we're well, talking... This is going to be like our greatest hits. It's, yeah. It's, it's really good. But, uh, so for me, the success was Stefan Dion. For Stephen, the success... The success was who, Stephen? Uh, Sandra Jansen. Anyways... We... No, no, no. We were talking about Alison Redford. I was looking for Alison. Oh, you were looking for Alison Redford. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh that one was relatively easy because we, you know, the each each leadership you have different expectations of what you're going to need. Um, yes, Allison, we thought we needed a long membership run run up. To Corey's point, we were totally wrong. Um, it turns out that a long leadership runoff meant that a run up membership sales period just meant that we had five months of not selling memberships and one so, month so, of selling memberships. So, so right? wait, wait. In that case, can I can I take you into that moment then? Is it is it fair to say that you were advocating for a long period? You didn't get it. You took what you got, and it turned out to be advantageous for you. Is that no, how that we, played out? We actually didn't get what we wanted. We that's what we, I mean. You you wanted long, you got short, and short. No, I'm sorry. Helped. We did get what we wanted. We we you got did. Okay, we got good. we were in that leadership lasted for it's thirteen really fourteen years. Uh, I mean, it would it just went on and on, and you could not sell a membership for the first. I think five months. Like it was, like people were just like, yeah. I whatever. see. So what you're saying, you wanted long, you got long, and it proved and it, to not be an advantage. I see what you're saying. It turned yeah, out yeah. to be just a complete joke, and um, you know, I don't think anybody really got an advantage from it um, because no one was selling memberships early, and then everybody sat on their membership sales anyway. So who the hell knew? Like, so rules like, what do you do when you sell a member? Like, do you sell the membership through the leadership, uh, through the portal uh, of the mm -hmm. NDP, or can you sell the membership uh, by cash and hold and sit on those paper forms and then submit all the paper forms at once? At um, yeah. You know, so that fundamentally changes the race because now I don't know who you sold to. Um, you know, like the party, the next time they distribute the membership list doesn't have that membership because you're sitting on it. Uh, you're also sitting on the cash. 
So any cash that's being collected on behalf of the party isn't going to the party. And we used to just take that cash and turn it into a big check that we would send. Like there's so many different little nuances on how these things can be unfolded. If you don't have a strategy, if you don't have a strategic direction that says, this is the case that I've built that is the best strategy for our campaign, then every little nuance, you'll be like, I don't which know. Which includes the rules for you, which oh. includes for you, it included tactics and who does what and and what we need from the rules in order to have a fighting chance. Well, Is that fair? Yeah. And if you'll recall, when Danielle Smith was on her way to winning her leadership, we were talking about how the leadership itself, the not, the process, because Danielle Smith was able to raise $175,000 faster than anybody else, because Danielle Smith was able to get the signatures on her nomination papers faster than anyone else, she was able to begin campaigning on average four to six weeks ahead of the other campaigns, right? So that process dictated the outcome. The process dictates the outcome and no one pushed back hard enough and said, we need a longer, you know, a longer period Mm. or shorter numbers or yeah, staggered like payments entry fee yeah, whatever yes. staggered payments would have made a massive difference in that leadership because they were out hat in hand trying to do it and while she was able to officially run and declare as a, as, as a candidate right. so to speak process dictates outcome Corey, you may have a rule of your own do you or do you want me to throw you some some fodder to, to chew on throw it at me here's here's a question i have and this one is 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 in your line of taking something implicit and making it explicit when you are advocating for the rules are you simply doing it from the eye of fairness and or are you trying to like screw your competitors over? And I guess in a party that has a dynamic of, you know, friendliness, like we're together, it's a, how, the, the, the tone of that, I'm just trying to understand how much of this is cutthroat winning and how much of this is leveling the playing field. And, I, and I'm curious to get your perspective on, on what rules advocacy looks like for each of you, Corey. Do you want to start me off on, on maybe taking something that at least to me, is a bit implicit and and turning it explicit in terms of what this fight is for? Yeah, let's be clear. You will likely... There's going to be two types of people. I'll start here, actually. Some people will just want fairness, right? Mm. And they will say, oh, you know, as long as it's an even playing field for everybody. What that is, is so on the eye of the beholder, though. And I think realistically, there are advantages baked in or out there. And so, like, they may feel they're just trying to be fair. Somebody else might think that they're not being fair, right? There are people out there who are saying, how can I get an advantage? And it might not be entirely duplicitous. It might be, I think this is best for the party and I think it's best for me. Our interests align here. Yeah, yeah. But that's an important point because the minute you are seen as trying to do something that is best for you, but not best for the party, you're in a lot of trouble, right? And then people are going to start saying, you're just looking out for yourself and this is a little too crass. And that can really affect those equations in terms of who decides and who influences, right? And you're going to have people say, they are trying to do something that's clearly not in the interest of the party. This kind of diminishes our view of all of their other requests along the way. It makes them all suspect. So there's a certain amount of like strategy that has to go in on that level too. You never want to go so far out on a ledge that you're showing yourself to be a bad actor. Even better, just don't be a bad actor. But like that's that's the reality that you're trying to deal with as you're trying to calculate. Carter right now is looking. Carter, like Carter, do you actor. do you, do you, do you just not give a fuck and you you do what Stephen Carter does, which is like, if I can, <laughs> like, how hard do you go to and 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 and, and be honest with me here. Um, how hard do you go and and what's your stopping point when you say, listen, this actually might be self defeating at some point. Well, I think that the number one thing is to always phrase it, <laughs> phrase it. <laughs> 
in the in the best interest of the party. But, you know, you have to fight for that which is in your best interest. And if you don't, you will lose. Right. So but, now, and, but and there's some if, things that yeah, won't yeah. matter. Right. So it's not like we're fighting on everything. There, there's going to be a cost benefit analysis. So, for example, I was talking about uh, membership length. You know, how long do we have to sell memberships? Right. Well, if you stop selling members, if you if you say, I really, really want a three and a half month membership selling process, and then the party comes back and says, well, we can only give you three months. Well, you're not actually cutting off the last two months, the last two or the last two weeks will still be there. So you're only cutting off the first two weeks. So that's really a, a small give. But there's other things that are much bigger gives, right? So for example, are we doing a preferential ballot or are we doing points? Uh, by ridings. I would fight to the death if it was a point by riding situation and I knew I was going to lose a point by riding, right? So if you know you're going to lose something, you have to fight to the fucking death to get it. To the yes, death. Yes, that's... It. And, 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 so... Go ahead, Corey. I, I, I got to say, Carter has twigged another important point here, which is you might go into these conversations with one strategy in mind, but you don't need to follow the same strategy if the rules come out different, right? So you're doing calculations sort of on the spot, too, of saying, all right, well, for our strategy, I would have preferred, I don't know, like an eight-month campaign like Stephen Carter got in, in the Redford campaign, right? But we don't have that now. So now what's our strategy? What are we going to do differently here? We're going to move along. And so, uh, you know, there's there's also a place for kind of adaptability and flexibility. And it's it's by definition the earliest possible days. So very few things are so fully baked that you can't adjust. You obviously need to be making calculations in kind of a final sense as to whether you think you can do this at all as rules change. But you can often adapt to rules that you perceive as disadvantageous. Uh, and this is helpful, and I've got a few rules on the board, but I, I'll just kind of yeah. quickly add this, Carter, which is – Corey mentioned there's two types of people. I'll also kind of use that same framing, which is there's two types of people when they read the rules, they'll look at it differently. There's a type of person like you, I would say, not to kind of you know overly simplify uh, you as a, or, and make you a character, Carter, but you look at the rules and you say, what are the biggest wins for me? What do I need to 100% fundamentally change so I can fucking screw someone else over – or outright win. And there's others that would look at it and with a slightly different tone saying, what is actually, what do I need to raise this, the floor on sort of things for, for me? Rather than say, I'm going to take this as an advantage and like make sure this is protected or whatnot, what do I need to, to raise the floor on? And I guess to me, do you see any advantage, Carter, to aligning with different camps on that sort of worldview of how to look at the rules? Or is that an area where you go alone? You say, if we are going for the win, we're going to find certain things in here that we want to 100% preserve, fight to the death for it, and find other things that we're going to put all our eggs in maybe one or two baskets, not 15 of them, so that we can kind of raise the floor. We're going to go with two things that, and everything else we don't care because our determining factors are these two things. Yeah, I mean, you, you've, you've put a couple of different concepts out there. I'm going to deal with the first one first, and that is this idea of how do we view the rules? I look at the rules as this is what I can get, this is what I can do up to this point, right? So if the rules, for example, dictated that city councilors are able to put out signs um, up until May and June advertising events, and that's allowed, you know what? That's what we do. Right. Not that if, you did. That's what we did because that was in the rules. We weren't breaking any rules. They had to change the rules after that so that we couldn't continue to do that. Interesting. Right. That's fine. 
But I'm the guy who looks and says, how far do the rules allow us to go? Not how much did the rules intend to hold us back? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a group of people who look for intention within the rule. Well, the intention of the rule is this. I don't look for the intention. I look for what the rule says, and then I find my intention around it, because the rules. And you're talking. You're talking about implementation here, rather than advocate. I appreciate this point, but this yeah. is really about how you implement. Well, that's uh, in, kind of your first regard. piece, right? And then your second yeah. piece is now: how are we aligning on it? Generally speaking, I'm not talking to anybody about the rules after the rules are done, unless it's something along the lines of we must work together. Right When the rules dictate that you have to do strategy, then you have to do the strategic work together. And the rules in British Columbia for the BC Liberal leadership, for example, dictated that we had to have partnerships. You had to have another partnership or another team. The same with Alison Redford and Doug Horner combining to beat Gary Marr. You have to have a partnership. So the rules dictate certain partnerships that suddenly you become very open and honest with them. But for the most part, you're you're not sharing very much information um, with your, with your, you know, the people you're fighting with. Corey, any commentary on this, on this worldview, how you, when you crack open the rules, how you view them? Um, Cause I've got a few more things that I want to try to get you guys to, to comment on as we try to create this list. Yeah. Look, a longstanding complaint of mine is that we've moved more to rules-based systems than principles-based systems where really it's, it's should be more about the intent, but the reality is we have. And so people, will look at the rules and they will use them as a roadmap for what they're allowed to do. That's the simple reality of rules in 2024, right? One of the things that I think is interesting about your question about trying to raise the floor is I'll just go back to that fair is in the eye of the beholder. Like, mm-hmm. like what is fair? Are you trying to create as much of a contest as possible? Is fair like, well, I think this is going to get everybody within the same number of votes naturally and we'll see where it goes? Is fair reflecting the will of the members as they exist? Is fair reflecting the will of the people who would like to be members? So giving them the opportunity. Is fair reflecting the will of Albertans? And so, I, you know, this I'm not trying to be a nihilist about this, but no, the, no, this is an helpful. open question. Yeah. And, but and then, so this is why ask- you also don't actually find it that difficult most of the time to frame things in terms of higher principles. Well, There's let me, a lot of principles you can serve. Let me ask you both a follow-up question then based on Corey's comment, Carter, which is how important is a persuasive story of your view of the world on the rules to your fellow, to, to of course, the ultimate, and, and Corey's sort of like, who recommends, who decides, and, and, and who influences. How important is that, whether you call it, you know, cliche, the elevator pitch or the, the the persuasive story of how we should view this race. How important is it that each camp have their own version of that right now? Or it's actually not that important because, you know, you're not going to convince anyone. Everyone's going to just, you know, battle their own and their, their true beliefs of their own, own right. Like, have you actually won over your competitors with your version of how you see theory of the race or the world through the party's eyes and say what's most fair for the party, even though it's actually most advantageous, advantageous for you, Carter? Two really good examples recently, right? First really good example is British Columbia, where the David Eby and the BC NDP had to disqualify the challenger candidate from the environmental movement because the rules were set up in such a fashion that that candidate was highly likely to beat David Eby. Um, if they had set the rules up properly, if, the, if David Eby had, had set the rules and, and determined, you know, for example, uh, a leadership process of who can run, how much money do you need to put on the table? 
people in advance. How, what is your nomination process? Do you have to get signatures from X number of people, whatever it might be? That who can run component, if it had been done properly, would have precluded um, the woman that was ultimately dis- disqualified. And that would have been such a much better outcome. If the rules had precluded it rather than having her disqualified at a later date when she was already nine tenths of the way into the leadership. And Jason Kenney, when he came in and took over the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta, his his move could have been disqualified. His move could have been disqualified at a a number of different spots. His move could have been beaten if we'd run the right rules. And I remember talking to that rules committee and and the president of the party, whose name escapes me right now, um, and and begging them to change the rules and and trying to explain to them the unintended consequences of the actions that they were taking. The unintended consequence of the action that they were taking was that Jason Kenney was going to win that leadership in about 15 minutes. Danielle Smith, another one, where the rules dictated the outcome. The rules dictate the outcome. So if we know that the rules dictate the outcome, then we have to fight and push back and change them all the time. Because there's there's all kinds of examples, especially in the who can run, how much money is it going to cost, and what's the nomination process. Those three things are kind of like the first set of rules that will dictate the outcome. Corey, question for you. You mentioned adaptability and flexibility, both in terms of if the rules change or strategy changes to give you a bit of optionality there. How far does adaptability and flexibility exist? And what I mean by that is, can you declare your candidacy contingent on the rules? And, and, Abs- and absolutely, you can. Okay, talk to me about that, and and how does one do that strategically? Which kind of gets me, and I'll preview this for for both you guys and the listener. Um, which kind of gets me closer to one of my ultimate questions on here, which is the candidate's actual involvement. As we get into the how, are they involved? Are they not involved? Do they keep their powder dry? What does the camp do? What does the candidate do? That's where I'm going. But Corey, talk to me about when we talked about adaptability and flexibility. How do you look? premier-esque, leader-esque, ready for the gig, but then also have an off-ramp on if the rules aren't in my favor, I'm I'm out of here sort of thing. Well, look, we tend to talk about the rules within narrow bands of uh, there's going to be some amount of money and it's going to be memberships for some amount of time. And then there's going to be some system of voting and that's how it's going to be. But the reality is there are rules that will just outright preclude people. You could easily imagine a party saying you must have been a member for five years. Right. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I don't know any party that's done that, but then obviously your participation is contingent on it. You could have a rule that says you need endorsements from at least 10% of caucus and maybe you don't have them. Maybe you're an outsider. Well, then your participation, you might declare as being contingent on how the, how the rules go too. And I think what becomes an interesting question for me is that these decisions are, they're not actually People don't think on the margins for these things. Like, I actually don't know many leadership camps who see bad rules come for them and be like, well, I'm out. Like, And I think camps actually mm. need to think a bit more seriously about that and understand where their lines are and what they're trying you mean, to do. You mean about taking their ball and going home, potentially? Yeah. I, I actually do. I, you know, no. because like I've seen a lot of I, – I can't even call it – you know, the, it's it's like a doomed campaign from the start. Like the rules were set up in a way like well, – Charade is a good example, I think, in my mind. 
Yeah. Yeah, he might very well be, right? Or if it was a point system and you have absolutely no strength outside of a certain geography, well, don't run just because you were planning to run for two months, right? Like consider Mm. it a sunk cost and move on with your bloody life. And I think ultimately on a more nuanced level, this comes down to what's your theory of the campaign going in. So as much as I preached adaptability going in, you've got to have a clear path to victory here. And you've got to have a clear path to, well, let me say, you've got to be thinking about, do I even want victory under certain conditions, right? Like imagine you join a party or you're going to run for the leadership of a party and they're just trying to clamp down the membership. They're trying to make it so it's like, no, there's, you know, no new members will be allowed. Anybody who is joined will be actually subject to loyalty oaths and all of that. But your whole theory of the campaign is we need to be open and inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would obviously be insanely misaligned. And again, extreme example to illustrate point, then you might want to take your ball and go home. So adaptability to a point but i also think campaigns need to think is this really for me do i actually have a chance am i going to add something to the campaign am i just telling myself i'm adding something to the campaign even though i've now acknowledged i'm not going to win this and and think about these things in kind of sunk cost terms yeah you wanted to run yeah you were ready to do it yeah you even had a team probably do you actually want to run and and so Extreme examples not likely to be manifest in this current set of rules and insofar as we have heard rumors about them coming out of the Alberta NDP, but this is the reality. The rules matter, but they have to matter to you too as a campaign, as a candidate. Uh, And I think that is an error that a lot of candidates make. Carter, should we talk about the how? Sure. I'm just here to, you know, do whatever you'd like. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm still awake. So let's, yeah, let's your bedtime was a while Carter, ago. We, we've got a, a decent set of rules. Let me kind of kind of walk you through these. And when I say rules, I mean our rules. Yeah. Rules you know, for rules. Rules for rules. Good, 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 good pot title. As a candidate, uh, you don't say any interest serves you. It serves a party. Coalitions, yes, approach them, but make them fluid, make them strategic. Understand how you can get a, a, an advantage, fight for the debt, what you're going to lose. If the rules change, your strategy changes, adaptability and flexibility. Um, Carter, I'm moving into the how. Okay, yeah. great. You've given me a bit of like a, you know, a genericized template. Uh, Carter, I need your help on how. Who does this work? Is it is it the candidate? Are all these candidates talking to each other? Are, is it their people? Who are their people? Is it their top person? Give me your, you know, do a dump for me. When you talk about the how, do a bit of a dump for me, Corey. I'll ask you to do the same. And then and then if there's anything remaining from my question line, so to speak, or at least what I'm thinking about, I'll, I'll follow it up. But Carter, give me the, 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 the brain dump on how. Well, uh, from my point of view, the candidate yes, shouldn't set foot near this. Um, because the candidate, to, to one of Corey's earlier points, which kind of annoys me, um, it, it, you know, you don't want a pissed off can you know a pissed off party at the candidate, uh, a pissed off party at uh, you know Stephen Carter or Corey Hogan, that's manageable, right? But a pissed off party at the campaign, not or at the candidate, not manageable. So s- candidates shouldn't even be near these leadership reviews. They should be sitting at home, making their telephone calls, trying to add. I can't remember how many people we said we get them to make calls to, but 500 p- telephone calls, you know, trying to add to their campaign teams. So having them sit for an entire evening or an afternoon on a leadership call uh, is an enormous waste of time um, and totally outside of the. Uh, requirement of what it is to be a leadership candidate. Um, And almost, I don't want to say disqualifying, but really you don't know your job if you're sitting in in a leadership 
um, rule review. Uh, and, and I would also say that that also goes for the former leader, but the former leader at least has the, 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 the privilege of saying, well, I ain't got nothing else to do. Um, mm. you know, but the, 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 this is a big deal, but you should not be in it. Um, and in terms of who else, the who, um, this should be, the decisions on this should be made by a small group of people. Usually it's, we, we used to have an election, uh, a leadership, uh, committee that would be formed. They would have some caucus members and people like that, but it would not be the full board. It would not, cause the board had like every rep, like 120 people were on the board. Right. Like the last thing you want to do is have decisions being made by large groups of people like that. Um, there's too many sources of, of influence to Corey's very earlier point. Uh, you know, who, who's in charge of a large group of 150 people? I don't know, but they might be in charge and that might generate a list of really bad leader, uh, uh, leadership roles. Corey. Yeah. Look, do, does your how align? It's possible. Generally, there is a chance that the party is going to say we want the leadership candidate there. I've seen that before in a couple of different contexts where they've either said they have to be there or strongly recommended it in addition to their campaign manager or their campaign staff, whoever it may be. That's not atypical, but I do agree with Stephen in those situations. You generally want to avoid that if possible, and if it's not possible, you you want to let the talking occur by your campaign representative. If only because this is the same reason why I've seen parties want this is the same reason why, as a candidate, you should not want to be there, which is they want you there so that they can put you on the hook for this in the spot and be like, hey, you agreed to it, whereas a candidate campaign manager can say... I got to check with my candidate, right? Which yeah. gives you guys the time needed to actually think through the decision and the consequences as it's there. So if you are forced to be in the room, reserve the right to say, got to think about that one, right? That's something I would say right off the bat. Mm -hmm. If you don't need to be in the room, don't be in the room. That's kind of organization 101. You always want a point of escalation. Stephen touched on this. If your campaign manager goes off the rails or has to get elbows up, you can kind of tut-tut it or even in the strongest cases sort of disavow and, and move on. But you can't disavow yourself, yeah. right? And you can't undo that error if that error gets made. So especially when you're getting into the fine detail work, that's not candidate work for many, many reasons. Carter, Corey says this is not even, this is not candidate work. Both of you would agree with that. Yeah. Both have agreed with that. Let me let me test another assumption. Is this even campaign manager work? And the reason I ask that is, do you want someone even more disposable, even more removed, especially if you're going to kind of be a bit of a bully about these rules, uh, kind of be prickly about them, you know, get more than maybe your hand slapped? Um, do you want someone that you can get rid of or demote so that you actually don't lose your campaign manager before the race even starts? Or am I just overthinking it in terms of like strategic pitfall sort of thing, Carter? You're overthinking it a bit because this same committee, this same committee that's informally forming now to form, to talk about the rules is also going to be the same committee that talks about the rules for the debates or the same committee that talks about the rules for the victory night party or the same committee. So you need to put people in place. Now, it doesn't need to be the campaign manager, but it should be someone who has negotiated for example, I mean, I don't know that the NDP is going to have a, a big event at the end of this, uh, but they will for sure have uh, debates. 
So whoever's going to do your debate negotiation, I mean, imagine what happens if there's a televised debate. Who's going to do that debate negotiation, right? So it should be someone who's comfortable in the situation of negotiating all of those details. So, for example, I didn't play that role my first campaign. Um, I had someone else play that role who had, who had more experience. But by the end of, you know, like my most recent leadership campaigns, I'm doing that role because I literally now have more experience writing the rules. Corey and I together might be two of the most experienced people at writing the rules and understanding how the rules unfold in, in, the, the, in the country, right? So I would look at those rules and, and you know, I, I also know how to get around them afterwards, so you want to have the same person making those negotiations and having that continuity. Uh, this is probably it, a good time to mention, Corey, before you jump in here, that um, I'll make the same offer I did to the UCP, which is the Strategist Podcast will host a leadership debate. We're ha- more than happy to do it. Oh, that's great. Um, in fact, what we will end up Finally. doing is I will I will host, uh, and then Corey and Carter will also play candidates oh, so awesome. that people can actually <laughs> test them, uh, test the leadership candidates against two other people who have no ambition to be leaders. Fuck uh, that's a good it's, idea. It's, it's yeah. a unique format. We may even do it live, uh, 100 bucks a ticket, all going uh, to my poster sales, which you can get through Samir Kayande. He doesn't know this, but you can get it through him. Okay. Uh, Corey, talk to me about this. Um, There's a lot there, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, not not just the debate, which is is definitely going to happen. The posters, too. the, the, The debate, the posters... The escalation points. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Was I overthinking it by by having some, you know, some some sort of bully show up? Let me. You know who I'm thinking. Let me be, be clear about this. I'm thinking someone like Carter's not. He's like, you know what? I'm available. I'm whatever. Carter, can you go re- negotiate rules for us? Like that's what I'm yeah, kind of thinking, right? Like a Stephen Carter style person to just be like make the rules negotiation okay. for us and then say. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. Like uh, to put somebody in like Stephen as a hired gun. Like it'd be one thing if Stephen was working on a campaign. Let's you know, say let's say course, he still he still works on a campaign afterwards. I'm, I'm getting there. Like so, I, I would say experience matters, and you'd want to send a Stephen Carter type if he's available because he's right. Like you you got to go through these. You got to get fucked by the rules once or twice. You've got to understand how those rules have unplayed in a myriad of different situations. Yes. Yes. You start to you start to develop a muscle for like. Like, oh, I could see that going badly. Oh, fuck. Have they really thought through that? Oh, my God. That's really will poorly defined. And you're definitely going to have people complaining about that down the road. And you, you get a sense for it, right? So at, I think that's a justifiable swap in if they're on the campaign. But if they're not, immediately you're going to sort of set off people's radars to like, why is this guy here? He's trying to fuck us. He knows he's been through this a million times. Anything he says, we're going to have to assume that there's an angle because he's not even really the campaign manager. He's not really even on the campaign. He's not even part of the party. Yeah, yeah. He's a hired gun, right? So you got to be mindful of that. And that does get me to the bigger point, which is you talk about maybe sending somebody else on the campaign. The person you send also needs to be listened to. Right. So they might discount the external consultant. They might equally discount somebody who's too junior or who they think they're not going to have to deal with down the road or they think doesn't have the authority to make the decisions. So why are you listening to them at all? Right. Uh, They need to be a big enough deal to the campaign that in the room they can credibly speak for the campaign. Mm. And the minute they're a big enough deal on the campaign to speak for the campaign, 
that they're in the room, you might as well send your campaign manager if it makes sense, because you don't get the deniability you're talking about. You don't get the disposability you're talking about with a name like that. Like if they're on the campaign and they're that big and they're that credible, they're not disposable. So you don't get the benefit you're talking about. You're better off having somebody who could speak with some authority and, and probably move the ball forward with your kind of heft, your campaign heft and gravita and title. Carter, do you ever strategically take, and when I say you, I mean, does one ever strategically take their grievances public? <laughs> Can that be part of your arsenal or is that a big don't do it? This is an inside, this is a private club, keep things private. What is your take on this? As it relates to the how, the advocacy for that, Corey's so pissed that he doesn't get to go first. Don't worry, you can so see this. Carter, <laughs> Carter, Carter, Carter's like half asleep. He's going to give I'm, you I'm like, that's true. heads on my C-plus answers. <laughs> Carter, do you ever take your grievances public? That's the heart of the question. Strategically, and the reason I add strategically is that does a, a campaign inside say, fuck it, we have no other – if this is one of those make or break rules – we we may have to ring the alarm bells and see if we can get some media coverage, put this on social, build a little bit of a, a a cohort behind it, a bit of a parade to help us push something through. Your thoughts on that, or is it a big no no for you? No, I think I think it can be used. I think you need to be very aware that if you use it, you're using it exactly one time, uh, and you may not mm. be able to to back away from it. And it's probably a precursor to you dropping out of the race. Um, I'm. I'm a big fan. Like, I, I think you need to have some power in this game. You need to put some power on your side. And right now, like, for example, you know, the, the party itself seems to have so much more power than the individual candidates. Well, that's right up to the point when this becomes a public conversation. You know, I, I think the NDP race, I mean, people are discussing things that are really almost inconsequential at this stage. Um, you know, how long will the membership sales thing be? Well, does it really matter if it's three months, two months, or four months? I mean, you're going to sell 80% of your memberships in the last three weeks anyways. Who the fuck cares, right? So it's just a matter of how long are you spending money? <laughs> you know, that's that's all the membership race is. Um, but there's other things that do matter more. So if, for example, I couldn't get the timeline that I wanted uh, for the voting process, where the voting day is close to the membership cutoff sales, um, then maybe I would uh, maybe I would go public, but I'm not speaking on behalf of any of the existing campaigns for sure, because I would think that they're all got their tails between their legs and they're also afraid. They're also afraid. Cutie, I just uh, listen. Yeah, Carter's okay. available the for the way hire. you just sort of tease things out that we can't even like. You're such an ass. But um, what did I do? We'll continue Nothing. that conversation offline. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just so people are if clear, you, what Carter said wasn't the thing. Here right now, this is, is, this the, is thing. the thing. Yeah, okay, the one. Yeah. 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 There are shades of going public. Are we talking about the candidate going public? Are we talking about the candidate's proxies going public? Are we talking about the candidate or their proxies calling reporters and columnists off the record and saying, yeah. hey, you might want to be asking about these things. This is pretty bullshitty and, and this is pretty duplicitous. And here's why this would be a big problem for the organization. There are so many shades of this, but if your fingerprints are on any of them, you are going to have a problem. Because again, you go back to this idea of like who decides, who influences. And I can tell you one thing that no political party wants 
it's it's that kind of fuckery at a certain point, right? Like there there is an instinct in political organizations to close ranks and say we are now being attacked from the outside. So even if the mm. suggestion was good and even if the suggestion was well intentioned, we are now being attacked from the outside. So we are going to close ranks. And to Carter's point, that's probably the start of the end of your campaign, either in slow motion or fast motion, because people will start to see you as an invading force a hostile thing that needs antibodies to take it out because you are putting your interests ahead of that of our beloved political party. Carter, anything, anything to add to that? Any response? I mean, I think that it is, it's, you know, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to have your fingerprints on it. I mean, I'd be making it look like Corey did it for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Let's spend the last couple of uh, minutes and let's just move this on to our over under and our lightning round. So I can impose a strict sense of discipline Oh, uh, yeah. Because we do it for you, Carter, yeah, in the over, under, and the lightning that. round. This is like that's very quick transition. Uh, let's talk about the campaigns and give me a bit of advice for each of them as they how, how they should be taking what we've put on the board and thinking about their futures as it relates to what I'd call the first fight, which is the rules. You may have a couple of fights, in uh, whether that be this leadership or, or overall. You have the, the, the leadership itself. You have, of course, the election. But the first fight, some might argue, is this molding of the rules. Carter, if you're Sarah Hoffman and her team, what advice would you have for her beyond the generic elements we have listed together and the advice we have given on the how around how she deal with uh, with the overall suite of rules? You know what I would probably, I mean, I'd probably recommend to Sarah Hoffman that they have a two-person runoff at the end. Um, I think that that would be incredibly adv- advantageous for her uh, to drop one of the candidates and go to a new runoff that's not a single ballot preferential, but instead it's a, you know, it's a runoff. Um, that would be changing the rules significantly, and I'm not sure that, that the party would be open to that, but if that, that's what I would be doing for Sarah is saying, okay, well, how do we get it down to a you know, one, one V one race. Cause I think that the weakness that she would have is that it could turn into a two or three V one race. And that, that might be more tricky for, for Sarah to manage. Corey, it can be as specific as Carter's, or it could be more generalized around her approach to think about this fight for the rules. If we want to call it that advice for Sarah Hoffman and her camp as, as she enters um, this negotiation. Yeah, and all of these camps will have their own theories, and they might have different strategies in mind for themselves than we have for them. But if you work under the assumption that Sarah Hoffman has been in the NDP the longest, that's not an assumption, that's just a reality, and probably has the deepest roots, and probably has a strong Edmonton uh organization and backstop, then probably you want to make sure that those rules are fairly restrictive, a bit of rigmarole in order for you even to be validated as a member. As many hurdles as you can put on that, probably the better, and probably as short of a contest as possible is in your best interest. In uh, With the assumption that, you know, what you're really doing is you're just trying not to move the current state too dramatically. Now, maybe that's accurate, maybe that's not. That's just a, a theory from the outside, but that that seems to me... To, to be pretty good. I love Carter's answer, by the way. I think that also this goes to a point we were saying earlier, which is we tend to think super narrow about these rules. And this is the anchoring effect, right? Yeah. Like some draft rules went out and people started tinkering with draft rules. 
these draft rules that are floating out, like you can go way off menu, right? You could do exactly what Steven talked about. I think that that actually, like the the ballot, like the one, two, three, in the case of the NDP, that might be in their constitution. But you can really push the rules beyond where the party wants you to have the rules. And sometimes one of the benefits of an innovative idea like that, particularly on the floor, if you're going to think like a provincial council or yeah. really any governing body, is people are going to be thinking about it for the first time. And if you can get them to a, well, that's really fucking interesting. Oh, that could be really exciting space. The organizations that don't want this or don't even know that they don't want this might not have time to react to it. So, you know, there's something to be said for novelty. It's like when you're playing Monopoly and you start doing like three-way trades and and all sorts of crazy shit. and Nobody can see, like there's just too much motion. You can't even tell what's going on. That's cool stuff. You should consider that. No, no, no one thinks that playing Monopoly is cool. Yeah, no that that stopped that stopped being cool a long time ago, yeah. Corey. Yeah. Um, just They've like got supporting pieces now, they don't they don't have the battleship. Ticket thing. to yeah. Ride is really good if you want. To you play know what's that. cool, Corey? Okay, the portrait unveiling of Prime Minister Stefan Dion. Okay, that is what that is was cool, really okay? good. I was happy to get an invite. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Was, Carter and I Carter and I were both there. It was a I, unfortunately was I was busy with. Uh, Premier San- Sandra Jansen. So yeah, I wasn't Jansen able to go. Day, yeah. Yeah. The Dion yep. decade, as they called it. And what a the decade Dion it decade. was. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Carter, uh, Kathleen Ganley, what advice would you have for her? You can go back to the specifics as you have been, but also feel free to give her some advice on approach as well as her camp, um, not her in particular, as we've discussed around some of the advice or the strategies you've said on, on individual candidates getting involved. What advice to her camp would you have? I think that it might be interesting for her to think about the timelines, right? Like what, what is in her best interest is a timeline. Um, you know, there's, there's always, uh, uh, the, the question is how much excitement can you generate for a membership process and membership processes aren't exciting. They are not sexy. So how can you generate a lot of excitement? And one of the ways to do that might be a shorter membership process. It would be counterintuitive because people might think that it benefits, um, you know, uh, Sarah Hoffman. But a counter, you know, a really short membership process at the right time could be a really powerful uh, tool for for Kathleen to consider. Corey, and any any thoughts for Kathleen Ganley around uh, advice to her camp? for this rules battle? Well, I don't know. I think that if you look at the membership of the of the NDP, I've heard kind of whispers that it's kind of more evenly distributed between Calgary and Edmonton than mm. you might think. Mm. Uh, although I suspect that kind of the monthly donor class, those who have their members auto-renew, are probably still more heavily in Edmonton. In yeah. Edmonton. Yeah. But if there is an asymmetry, and if there's more members in Edmonton, then... I, I'm surprised, frankly, that to my knowledge, none of the campaigns has been calling for a point system of any kind, right? I guess I understand why, particularly here in Alberta, knowing that there's some anxiety about Take Back Alberta. But it does seem to me that one of the camps would probably benefit from a point system. I'm not sure which one, but, uh, you know, that would be an area that perhaps if I thought that I could if I could have like a lot of activity outside of the cities in particular where memberships might be lower. Uh, if I was in sort of the, the Southern parts of Calgary, where there's not much of an NDP organization, five memberships, five votes might become a hundred votes just like that. And this goes back to my point about you can almost calculate some of these things in crass vote terms. And if you've got good enough information, you can make calls like that. 
And so I'd be curious if I was Kathleen Ganley to sort of explore things like that. In terms of approach, I think that you would want to sort of wrap yourself in the idea of trying to build um, Calgary presence, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be so funny because I think every campaign is going to want to build Calgary presence. But uh, Kathleen has the postal code and, you know, and so maybe that's where she wants to be. Corey, let's talk about someone who's built a Calgary presence or has is, is, is done that for a couple of years, Rocky Pancholi. What would you tell her camp right now as they're thinking about these rules? We've talked in the past of her kind of being the insider-outsider, having that optionality, so to speak, and that I know that's being simplistic about her candidacy. But what would you tell her camp right now around around the rules, advice or specifics, either or? Yeah, well... If we assume that Sarah wants a short contest, and if we assume that um, Kathleen wants points, and I like, you know, neither is a real thing, but yeah. like, let's just continue with this kayfabe here. Well, then I think you want to have a long, open contest that's not about points. You want to you want to grow the party and build the organization out. And I'm I'm doing that largely by subtraction, right? Like, if you think about where the other organizations are, you have to mm. think about where your benefit might be as well. But I also believe that, and we've talked about this in the past, like if she's going to be the person who sort of opens the doors and expands the tent and has that as her theory, well, then of course you want rules that allow for that, right? That allow more people to come in uh, and get engaged with the organization. And so that to me is not a very exciting or interesting answer, but that's probably the answer. Like if you're the person who actively is benefiting from growth in the party, then you want to facilitate growth of the party. Hmm. Carter, Rocky Pantrilli, any advice for, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think the Rocky's uh, challenge with the, with, with the leader, you know, with Rachel Notley stepping down so quickly and the leadership taking off so quickly is that the naturally occurring event has disappeared, right? There's no Canada day. There's no stampede. There's no, whatever the Klondike takes days is called. There's no Pinocchio stampede. There's no, you know, all the small towns, all the places you can go and go to Grand Prairie and, all of that disappears. And I think that um, for her, then a longer membership sales process that enables her to get through at least July uh, with an early September announcement of the victory uh, might be her best bet because she can jump on all those naturally occurring events where she's kind of a naturally occurring all-star, right? Like of, of the three that we've talked about, Carter's right. Like the, the event circuit is her friend. So mm. And she doesn't, she doesn't actually get that. Fine, it's yeah. actually bothering me how much better he's been at this section than me. You know, well, coming in you, strong in the last five we'll, minutes here, Carter. So, we'll, so. Give you, we'll give you a chance to redeem yourself. Carter's catching a second when it's almost morning time uh, for him. That's <laughs> right. Know, to go. A half hour. Hey, Corey, the, the, the Gil McGowans, the, the rumored Nahid Nenshis, the, the, the Don Iversons, the, the external non-party candidates. I know their needs are going to be different, like individually, and I know we haven't focused a lot of attention on them, but beyond the generic sort of template we have talked about or the rules base we have talked about and the how, what advice would you have someone poking at this thing or kicking tires from the outside considering this thing? Um, how would you get them to think about their world? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I would really, like, not even right now, like yesterday, we're here too, right? If you are talking to 
those three, you better be talking to us as well. If you're having conversations about the rules, we want to be engaged in these rules. There's no reason you should advantage the caucus over people outside of the caucus. We've we've all expressed interest. We all want to be there. I think that would be my starting point. Mm. If you're not at the table, like here's the, the thing that they have going against them right now. They're not at the fucking table. Like at least- Table menu stuff really. is, is that cliche works they, in this game. Yeah. The table matters. And so the first step is actually being at the table because- that's how you get to the point where you're you're affecting what gets recommended. So we what haven't talked you're... a lot about the first of my three mm. things there, but who recommends is important. And you want to be able to influence the recommendation that goes to the larger body. Corey, you, you, uh, reconcile that for me a bit with optionality and flexibility of your candidacy based on where the rules ultimately land. How do you be at the table? Like, talk to me a bit about the wow. Just connect connect the dots for me around the how of you know, how you get a seat at the table, but still very much are a, con- a conditional player in all of this. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm thinking about it, but obviously this will have a big impact. And so uh, a couple of people who've been supporting me working through this, um, I'd like to put them in touch with people in central campaign. I want to put them in, or sorry, central office. I want to put them in touch with the other campaigns. I want to make sure we're keeping channels open. And I don't want you to forget that there's a bigger world out there than just the, you know, 30 odd uh, Alberta NDP MLAs like that. That would be so foundational. And if you haven't done it yet, it's probably almost too late. But yeah. like, I think that that is a really important thing because otherwise you are just going to be reacting and you are going to be determining your terms, whether or not you like the rules as they come out. Because at this point, you know, there's there's been rounds of revisions. Things are pretty locked in. There will be changes still, I'm sure, but it's going to get a little more difficult Carter? from this point on. Carter? Yeah, by the time that Corey and I record You the People tomorrow night, um, these people need to be in the NDP office, uh, getting briefed on the rules, understanding the rules, and uh, influencing the rules. Um, right now, one would have to assume that the rules that are being considered benefit in some fashion uh, sitting members of the le- of the Legislative Assembly. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's 100% true, but maybe. Um, so if it's, you know, if, if you come in at, at, uh, at a point when this the rules are all decided and they're not in your favor, uh, what the hell is the point of coming in? And on top of that, <laughs> here we go with the good language. It is in the party's best interest to ensure that they have the largest possible field of leadership candidates. So the party itself should be trying to cultivate and not necessarily recruit. We've talked about that in the past, but certainly facilitate and ensure that candidates that want to be in the race uh, can be in the race. Corey? I think that one of the organizations we haven't talked about is uh, enough, at least in my opinion, is the party. So one of the things that Carter just triggered me here was when he said it is in the party's best interest. Well, there is a party executive. There is a party, you know, senior staff person. There is a, a full staff of individuals who have different ideas, perhaps, about what's in the party's best interest. And they are going to either subtly or not affect this outcome based on their own anxieties and desires. And certainly we know one of those anxieties is this notion that the party might be, quote unquote, taken over by oh, Take God. Back Alberta. And, so and we haven't stupid. talked about that at all, but I want to kind of throw it on the table right now. We've said in past episodes, we think this is a little overblown. I want to reiterate that. I think as long as you manage who the candidates are, it doesn't really matter what else comes out of this. I think it's really hard to sell memberships to people in the NDP if they are take back Alberta types. 
And ultimately, and this is the important point, if you are the NDP, you've got to decide right now, are you playing defense or are you playing offense? Like, are you trying to make sure you're, oh, please don't hurt us, take back Alberta. We don't want to be conquered. Or are you saying we're trying to build a party? you know, for the next election. And I think that one of the challenges that all parties have, but I would observe, I've sometimes seen more aggressively in the NDP, is a bit of a bunker mentality at moments like this that says, we got to, we got to batten down the hatches. We got to just, you know, stay out of the way. We got to put up all of these defenses. And that's interesting to me, right? I think if you are one of the candidates you've talked about from the outside, that's very dangerous to your candidacy. If you are even a candidate that wants to grow the party from the inside, that could be a bit of a challenge for you. So it, it's something that I think needs to be observed. And I think that if you are in a party office and you're sort of finding yourself making those decisions, you've got to sort of almost sort of check yourself and intellectually ask, is this what you really want for your organization? Because I'll tell you, parties that start saying, how do we protect what we have instead of how do we keep growing what we've got? are parties that ultimately die. Nicely said, Corey. And of course, folks can get their Ron DeSantis for Alberta NDP leader posters uh, at thestrategist.ca. Um, he will be declaring very shortly. Uh, he's going to put a lot of money into the race, Carter. So we're excited for that. And that in, is indeed a wrap on episode 1280 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. And we will see you next time. 